Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, sponsored by ACR, America's Card Room, where this Sunday, July 16th, we have satellites to the Enjoy Poker Series in Punta del Este, Uruguay. My name is Clayton Fletcher. I am your host in fabulous Las Vegas. I am not alone. I am inside the Aria Resort Hotel, Casino, and Spa (laughs) with a regular guest, uh, someone that we haven't had on for a little while, but he's one of your favorites. He's one of my favorites. He's a legendary poker player, uh, poker coach, poker backer, poker guy around town. He's got over $9 million in online and live tournament earnings. He is also the president and founder of the charity series of poker, the CSOP. Your friend and mine, Matt Stout. How you been, Matt? Pretty, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> How you been, Clayton? Where have I heard that before? <laughs> so as the World Series of Poker comes to an end, how has it been for you so far? Uh, in life or in poker? <laughs> Let's talk about poker first. <laughs> uh, that has been lackluster this summer. Okay, so last summer, you may recall, I didn't make a dinner break until July, and I got here June 1st. So I don't think it's been going that badly for you, has it? No, I got some caches. I'm just stuck and salty about it. Yeah. Uh, wondering what could have been, what would have happened if I hadn't misplayed certain hands or or if Mark Safe had folded deuces on the turn <laughs> to a giant shove. So bluffing Mark Safe, uh, not look, recommended or? Look, <laughs> I thought that I had set up a full decade of not bluffing him and showing him the nuts. Every time he called me, I thought maybe I could get him to fold deuces on ten eight three three in a three bed C bed double barrel all in pot. Wow! And uh, he... I was wrong. I was wrong. Yeah. So Mark nice was called Mark. Yeah. And which event was that in? That was in the money with like 45 or 50 left in the uh, 2,500 freeze out like a month ago. Right before I showed up to dinner with you to go to the comedy show. After yeah, that's right. And you came out to see my comedy show with Jim Jeffries. And then we went to go see Russell Peters with some friends of yours. That was a great night. Yeah, there's been a lot of comedy doubleheaders. We've been going to shows on Friday night and then heading straight to South Point for Dirty at 1230. And my friends, uh, my new crew has just been in love with comedy shows. So, and it would. Are are we going to talk about the fact that you're opening for Jim and Jeffries? Like <laughs> that is ridiculous. I, I mean, I know you're a big deal, but that was. Let's talk about that. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, you know, my podcast listeners know that it was one of the biggest, uh, you know, moments in my comedy career. And uh, apparently, we don't have any dates yet, but apparently. It's not going to be a one-time deal. Let's go. Let's go. It might be a semi-regular thing for me, which is great. So I'm very excited for all that. And I love that you love comedy, too. I'm huge. Huge. I've always been huge on it. Yeah, very cool. Why do you think I met you? Why do you think I was at that show? Like... 
the the one in the Bahamas. Oh, Norm McDonald. Yeah, Norm yeah. McDonald, sure. Exactly. I was dying to go to that show. I love Norm. Right? Yeah, and then so you and sad. I became instant friends, oh, yeah. basically. And I've done a bunch of things with the CSOP. I had to miss the charity series of poker event last month, and I'm so sorry I couldn't come. How dare you? I know. How dare <laughs> you, sir? In the middle of the World Series of Poker, you didn't just show up at yeah. the Sterling Club to support Three Square Food Bank. Yeah. You must hate the starving children. I that do. must be what it is. I do. It's I not won't. that you had a full <laughs> schedule and that WSOP requires an egregious amount of R&R time <laughs> in addition to being tortured at the table for 12 to 14 hours on that on some days. I'm sure it's just that you don't like feeding kids I, I i don't like children i hate them yeah, all I, I want them all to starve as you know but more importantly i think i was just you know fooling around with some kind of final table in the 600 dollars plo or something it's no big deal. excuses are excuses <laughs> i know an excuse when i hear an excuse okay fifth place anyway um <laughs> Like, I didn't brag enough for you about <laughs> opening for Jim Jeffries. You got to throw in a fifth place. Hey, it's the whole point of being the host of a podcast, right? You get to toot your own horn. <laughs> I didn't know that. I should probably start a podcast. Yeah. I've actually toyed with the idea of doing like a nonprofit one where I bring on different people who are either passionate about certain charities and talk to them about why or are from different charities that we work with or want to partner with or just ones we want to get the word out about even if they're too small and not ready to run a charity series of poker event yet. So it's definitely something that I would consider doing with you in the future. So. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, I think, you know, you've got a great voice um, for podcasting. Thank you. You've got, yeah, you have a beautiful, <laughs> like, deep bass voice, which is always nice. People like to hear a nice voice. You know, you have a lot to say. We have had some pretty in-depth conversations. Today, though, I want to do something different, you know? I just want to keep it light. I want to talk about your love of hockey, your Ooh. love of comedy. I want to talk about things that make you happy because I'm getting the feeling that being stuck at the end of a six a six of seven weeks are now in the books here in Vegas for the World Series of Poker. And I think that it's just time to kind of lighten the mood a little bit and help you relax. I agree. I'm thinking a lot about camping in Lake Mead right now. I'm doing a trip to Zion after the series is over. I did it last year right after the series. And it's going to be an annual tradition just to get out of Dodge, even though it's still insanely hot. It's beautiful up there. And I love camping. I grew up. I'm doing it with family in upstate New York outside of Albany. And that was one of the things that always like helped me recenter. And like, even when I didn't realize I needed it, I would come out of camping trips, like kind of re-energized, refreshed and refocused. There was actually one of the big ones was for me, it was 2013. I went up there for a whole weekend with family. And that was when I, you know, like kind of was getting more and more nervous that lock poker wasn't going to pay people out and finally left them. And, um, that has a whole sub story to it, obviously. But, um, it was also after like a boating accident and uh, I just had like a lot of soul searching, a lot of like stuff that I was deeply, deeply stressed about and like was kind of like bothering me to my core on, on different levels. So, that was kind of when I spent the weekend in the woods staring off into space and camping and spending time with friends and family and off the grid and off my phone. I kind of decided that that was when I was done with Locke. I was kind of like announcing that I was done and going to uh, start CSOP. And I started CSOP within a year after that. So. Wow. So maybe the camping trip 
got your your mind going towards what else can I do? Yeah. What do I want to do? What do I want my life to, to be about? People know that you're a, a great poker player, an absolute crusher, PLO, No Limit Hold'em, mixed games, he does it all. But, you know, I think what you've really put yourself on the map for even more so is your charity work, you know, founding the Charity Seekers of Poker. How much money have you raised for charitable causes since inception? Uh, almost three and a half million. Jeez, that's incredible. I mean, that's an amazing story just your life's work you know and, and if people want to listen to previous episodes you know just look back in the archives we've had matt on a number of times we're not going to go back into you know the stories from his childhood made him care about charities mostly children's charities right is that fair to say that most of your work is in not necessarily i mean habitat and food banks both support children and families a lot but there's there's different pillars to it i mean i want to support uh, military causes and one of the great organizations we support is Folded Flag Foundation that the owner of the Golden Knights set up because he was an army guy and it, all the money that's publicly raised goes directly to scholarships from, uh, for the families of fallen soldiers so it kind of it's a military charity but also is supporting family and kids at the same time which is kind of a great cross section there but in general I want to feel like you know we're supporting medical charities children's charities that we're still supporting veterans that were supporting the homeless were supporting uh people recovering with addiction and that are experiencing homelessness via las vegas rescue mission which is one of our newest beneficiaries uh but yeah i mean obviously kids are close to my heart i have my own four-year-old autistic son along with three adopted kids basically that i'm guardian of my my ex's three little sisters that i'm very proud to be raising and are just incredible incredible human beings even though they've been through a lot so yeah children are definitely close to my heart but we want to support animal organizations i've already talked to jen Harmon. jen Harmon wants to have us partner with them and start getting her nevada spca event going again I mean, if we can help a good, worthy, legitimate organization that's using their money effectively raise money with poker, I want to do it. Uh, if I have the infrastructure, the time to be able to commit to it, to make sure that we're really going to be able to make it a good event and make it a good experience and make it effective and make sure that it makes money for the charity. I love it. I mean, I've been involved in, I don't know how many, maybe seven or eight different CSOP events over the years, and they're always such a great time. I mean, there's just something about charity and poker and doing it for the kids and doing it for the for the animals or doing it for people that are starving, whatever it is. It just it makes playing poker a hundred times more fun than when you're just in it for yourself, you know? For sure. And I mean that's one of the best things about it is no one's going there expecting to win. They know the vast majority of the money that's raised is going to the charity. We're going to pay out five grand in prizes. Sometimes it's a main event seat. The rest of it is donated experience prizes where you might get to play with Negranu or other uh, celebrities in a cash game, get you know gift certificates to restaurants like Via Brazil, Golden, uh, Golden Knights tickets, uh, Lake Las Vegas Water Sports is one of our big sponsors. So we have a lot of different prizes for the final table, but there's only going to be like one big cash winner or main event seat winner. So Sure. Now, Lake Las Vegas Water Sports, I know we talked about this last time. I, I won a you know gift certificate to go there. I had the greatest time. I mean, I, they put boots on my feet. I was like flying in the air above the water. Yes. I was flyboarding, man. It was so much fun. I haven't gotten back there this summer, and I'm only here for a few more days. I just don't think I'm going to be able to squeeze it in this time around. But if, you, if you're looking for something fun to do in Vegas on a hot day, 
Man, go out to Lake Las Vegas Water Sports. They are so great. They're not an official sponsor of this podcast, but they are they are terrific. They deserve all the support. Trevor Pope's a really good guy. He owns the company and donates unlimited gift certificates to CSOP events. We give them out like candy. It's and flyboarding is the probably one of the coolest activities you could possibly do. I mean, <laughs> Once I got the hang of it, dude, I was I was loving life. I was up high. So for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, go on YouTube and just search flyboarding. Look at some of the videos of what people are doing. They take the steering column out of a jet ski. They take a fire hose and. And they put it where the where it would be shooting out to propel a jet ski. And instead, they shoot that water out of your feet so that you go shooting up into the air like 40, 50 feet high. And the people who get really good at it, instead of just trying to get up out of the water and not fall like we do, are doing <laughs> like dolphins, corkscrew spirals, all these crazy tricks jumping in and out of the water and i've gotten to the point where i'm getting good enough and like comfortable enough up there that i'm gonna start learning the tricks um i've done it several times and it is definitely a very fun adrenaline experience they also have a cable park an aqua park kayaking paddle boating they do yacht parties and stuff it's just it's 40 ish minutes from the strip and closer than lake mead and they're they just do a lot of really really fun stuff out there it's definitely fun for the whole family yeah they're good guys and it is a, a great way to spend a sunny afternoon for sure now matt i know you're you're on a schedule so i don't want to keep you and uh, abuse my privilege but uh yeah let's get into a hand here um if you guys are not yet on acr what are you waiting for all you have to do is click the link in the description of this podcast and enter the promo code tpe and you can receive a first time deposit bonus of up to $2,000, 100% of your uh, initial deposit. So do that now. And uh, yeah, so Matt, what kind of hand do you have for us? I have, it's actually, it's funny because I've played so many big tournaments this series, but the one that I'm going to uh, use here is from the Ultra Deep Stack 600 because <laughs> I had a very interesting spot come up. People don't bet 1.6x pot too, too often on the river, so. Oh, a little foreshadowing. So it's going to be a big it's, river bet in this it's, one. It's It was, it definitely made for kind of an interesting spot, but there was a lot of meta, like, not necessarily reads, reads, like, I'm not looking for the curl of the lip here, but, like, something about, like, the vibe and the situation just kind of made me make a pretty ridiculous call. So Now, before we started recording, you were saying how, uh, you know, you've been working with Run It Once? Yeah, I've, I'm a Run It Once elite coach. A few months ago, I started making training videos for them. Well, first of all, congratulations. I mean, that's that's incredible and well-deserved. Um, but yeah, you were saying that a lot of what's on the site is just GTO, GTO, GTO. Yeah, and the funny thing is I haven't used solvers much. I'm planning on using them more, but I also, there's a reason that I'm up millions of dollars lifetime have made all the final tables i have there's there's definitely something to be said for like just knowing like knowing your rangers knowing what strategy you should be playing knowing how to exploit the things that people are doing in live tournaments because um obviously you shouldn't try to play gto in most live tournaments especially most of the stuff i'm playing is 600 to 3k i played the 10k plo 10k main event um I was going to play a 10k one drop, but for the most part, I'm I'm pretty selective on the 5ks that I'm playing. I'm firing a few of them, but 
Um, most of what I'm playing is like that 600 to 3K, the sweet spot where there's like enough money in the prize pool, but they're also super soft. I think 3K and 3500s are really just one of the most beautiful price points in live poker. And you're generally going to have fairly soft tournaments and you're way better off understanding exploitive strategy. But I mean, I'll, it, in their defense, it does help to know the baseline and where you should be in terms of GPO, GTO, what you're deviating from and why you're deviating from it but so i definitely plan on incorporating solvers into my game more but i was definitely getting flamed a bit uh, in the comments <laughs> of some of my first videos where they're like you're saying you're playing exploitively but you're not explaining what you're exploiting you may be exploiting yourself and i'm just like it just i i'm playing a 55 dollar rebuy on wsop.com <laughs> against people that are barely even breathing GTO is so far from my mind right now. It's yeah. not even. It's like playing the Borgata 500 or the 600 opening event when you get deep. Like, there's no GTO. Like, I just get to open 40 or 50 percent of pots, and people are just going to fold unless they have it. It's you can't you can't solve for how weak tight the East Coast plays poker live. It's just so true. I mean, I, <laughs> I get I, the only place that I ever thought was an exception to that was parks i could never get a bluff through at parks you know you go to atlantic city it's only like an hour away from parks right maybe 90 minutes at the most it's a completely different player pool why why is that i don't know i only played at parks once because i had a bad experience and i just kind of crapped on them publicly until uh, (laughs) you know you're not so welcome you're not welcome there i'm welcome i'm welcome i just i chose not to go back It was when they first opened. They did not have it together with poker, and I just I was I was very unimpressed. And they had a very uh, outlandishly attitudey security guard that I uh, got into it with. But I'm still welcome. I didn't get tossed or anything. Okay, all right. I just was like, yeah, I don't think I'm coming back to this place. And I love Borgata so much. When I'm yeah. on the East Coast, I. I, I have to kind of carefully select when I travel. I've lived in Vegas since 08, and now ever since 18, I've had my son. And even back, like, before then, I was, uh, you know, with Borgata as their first uh, pro for their online site from, like, 14 to 18. So I had to be at, like, four out of their five series contractually. and like Yeah, well, there's a lot worse places you can spend your, your time than the Borgata. It is a beautiful property, excellent hotel, and a very well-run poker room, always. Yeah, and they were overpaying me while they gave me <laughs> uh, a titanium card and free rooms. And, yeah, it was, it was nice. I don't, I, even know, I don't even know what that is, but it sounds impressive. Uh, it's the equivalent of the Noir card before, oh. they, before they moved to the MGM. Like, Boyd and MGM used to come on Borgata. Right. Once Boyd got bought out, MGM eventually re-implemented their... Uh, reward system, but it's like the equivalent of seven star. There's a special lounge that's just um, open bar and like bougie food, and yeah. they would they hated me in there so much. But <laughs> I, I made sure that I had the right to go in there contractually. <laughs> I just, they hated you. <laughs> well, here's the best part: people for some reason the super super high rollers feel like they don't need to tip. So like I would go in there, I would intentionally dress down. I'd be wearing like basketball shorts and a plain white tee. And I would be like tipping the bartenders, and they would just give me looks of death, and I loved it. 
yeah. so much. <laughs> so you're showing up the high rollers with your with, with your my tipping. five dollar tip. Like that's all it took because they just apparently a lot of them just decided they're they're so bougie they don't need to tip. Well, I don't know if they're bougie or if they paid for the chandeliers and they feel like they've given enough. <laughs> that's fair, yeah, but they, yeah. they didn't give that to the bartenders. They gave that to MGM. Hundred so. percent. Yeah, no, I would never fault somebody for being generous in tipping. You know, look. I, I'm all for it. I think these people work hard. It's a hard job bartending, especially when most of your customers have an entitled attitude. You deserve five dollars or more. In that place, wow, that yeah. was there was a certain vibe in there, and there, it was just screaming, "Matched out, you don't fit in, you do not belong here." But I'm like, yeah, look, look at my look at my contract. Yeah, see the card. <laughs> I got my card. Here I am. All right, uh, we digress. Let's get into it. So it's a six hundred dollar. Ultra Stack. Is this a new event? I don't remember this one from last year. Yeah, I mean, they have like the $600 deep stacks. I don't know if they had the Ultra Deep. This one was a 60K starting stack, which is why I intentionally showed up late. I've been trying to be on time for most of these, but I was like playing 100, 200 on a 60K stack and a 600 with my exhaustion level. No, thank you. No. That sounds like a good day to sleep in a little. Yeah, exactly. Uh,. I show up to the table and I didn't realize, I didn't know who it was at the time. It's Jake Farrow. He won WPT Player of the Year like a year or two ago, I think. Um, I looked him up when one of my students hit me up with his table draw recently and I was researching his players for him and I saw that this kid had cashed for like over $2 million. I was like, how do I not know who this kid is? He won Player of the Year. Like, I was completely clueless. So I show up, and even though I had seen that, he looked different than he did in his hand in my picture. So when I show up, this kid has like 350K from 60K. It's probably one of the chip leaders of the tournament. Wow. And you can tell just from the looks on everyone's faces that he's just winning all the pots yeah. and is full control. Of he's steamrolling. Like, totally yeah. running over it. Um, so I know that he's... Uh, I, I start chipping up. I get up to 100K pretty quickly from 60 and then I I mean this is where it gets into game flow it's not even like reads it's just you know whoever this kid is has all the chips was in full control of this table knows that I'm a pro that just came in I've already doubled I'm starting to open a lot like he's definitely going to play back to me game flow wise I feel like he's going to start three betting me light he's going to start floating me he's going to start taking some, like every spot he can against me and try to kind of reestablish game flow dominance and try to make sure that I know that he's table captain he's table captain yeah so now this is not going to be found on any solver any GTO bot right yeah. <laughs> this is live poker this yeah. is what happens this is exactly what it's about yeah and you're on my why. turf buddy I'm here I've been dominating this table I'm not gonna let you come in and start asserting yourself I'm yeah. gonna shoot you down yeah I've been there I know what that feels like and I think any live pro would understand what you're saying yeah and by the way it's not like he's acting like douchey or anything. No, he's no, not, no he's not like being smart he's being like friendly and chatty and like I was talking to him, but, like, I still just, on that other level, I'm just like, he's not happy I'm here, and he's going to try to get me. He's going to be coming after me. He's right. So the back. dynamic is set. Yeah. yeah. So we're ten-handed, of course. Of because, course. <laughs> because it's a 600 ultra deep stack. and So I, brutal. I still open king nine suited under the gun. <laughs> okay, Matt, what's the logic here? <laughs> I mean, I think it's still software approved. Um, All right. I mean, like. 
Maybe we might be a little bit too deep. Me and Jake are the only ones that are super deep. Most of the people have an average of like 80K probably. Um, so it's 65-ish big blinds probably. But like I want to say at like 40 and 50-ish BB effective nine-handed under the gun. Solver approves like king seven suited under the gun, which is something I never expected. Yeah, no, and that like, is true, yeah. Have started incorporating it in my game. So I think like... King nine suited under the gun ten handed with like a hundred K at twelve K or a hundred K at twelve hundred. Um with like my edge on the majority of this table is just still fine. And, right. It's uh, just this Jake guy that you're worried about. The rest of the table pretty pretty easy to run over, you think? Yeah, I, I think that generally they're gonna play their hands pretty face up and right. that I should be able to make up for, you know, the ridiculous ten-handed nature of this and my son was still somewhat light open under the gun but I think it's fine I think it's still pretty standard okay um, I make it 3k at 1200 middle position calls uh, Jake's in the hijack and he calls big blind calls flops nine deuce deuce rainbow okay so nine deuce deuce we have three opponents we have top pair with a king kicker yeah and pot is 13 eight okay and we have a hundred Hundred K. Yeah. Okay. Um, they check to you, I see. Big blind checks. I see bet forty four hundred. First guy folds, and while Jake's thinking, the big blind folds out of turn. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the six hundred dollar World Series of Poker event. That that also sets up a certain dynamic in the hand too, because. Jake, like, really quickly, like, as he gets ready, I, I kind of motion to the dude, like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, no. Thanks, buddy. Fold out. Yeah, I get, <laughs> I get the cool fold out of turn motion, which I think makes my hand look weaker. It, it does. It looks like I'm annoyed that he's folding out of turn. And I, I did it deliberately, as most of what I do at the poker table is deliberate. I would assume so. You uh, didn't win $9 million by accident. <laughs> well, only four and a half of it was live. <laughs> That's fair. The rest of it, I'm just clicking buttons behind a monitor. Um, so I, I did that deliberately, and he kind of like chuckles and goes, don't worry, it wasn't going to affect my action. Like, And what did you make of that comment? Do you feel like there's any truth to that? How fucking weak does that look? <laughs> uh, like... No, nah, but don't like, worry, like, don't worry. Like, yeah. yeah, you're gonna, like, you're gonna, you're gonna console me and make, like, rest assured, I was gonna call anyway. Yeah. When you have like nines full or a deuce right. here, or right. like, I mean, he just doesn't have any overpairs. Like, I don't, he's gonna squeeze pre. Like, none of it makes sense. Like, I, I'm not really worried about too much. I think that he's gonna be floating here with overs a decent amount but I also think that he's like calling with some mid pairs and I think that he's also just gonna like straight float me a, a decent amount of the time especially now that he knows the big blind is not going to be involved right and like the the comment he made just felt super weak um so he calls and the turns the ace of spades I pick up the nut flush draw okay so it's the ace of spades which gives us the nut flush draw but it's also an over card to your kicker so Hmm. All right. Do we want to bet again, or do we want to try to check here for pot control, or possibly go for a check raise semi bluff? What do you think? Why would we? What would we be trying to check raise bluff him off? He's not going to fold ace x. He doesn't have over pairs like tens or kings. Like why would we? If he has an ace, like he's 
we're just going to blow the pot in a spot where he's probably not going to fold, especially given the whole dynamic. And uh, Well, I agree he's probably unlikely to fold the, the turn, but I feel like a check raise on the turn and then a, a you know big bet on the river probably can take this one down a lot. But we should probably choose hands that don't have showdown value. We already have so much showdown. Yeah, we have a pair of nines. We even have a flush draw to back it up. Yeah, I agree. So it's not a hand that I want to check raise. The merit to barreling is like, the problem is, what am I really trying to get called by for value? Like now, even with the mid pairs that he was like bluff catching with, or even if he was like floating with like, you know, jack 10 overs and a backdoor flush draw or whatever, then what are we really trying to accomplish by betting? Do we think we're going to get him to float us again and then we're going to check all river? Like, I think we want to give him some rope now that we think that he's going to get out of line. Yeah, now so let's go back, guys, because Matt said on the flop he felt like a lot of his opponent's range would be floats. Now some of those floats will be ace-ax, of course. Ace-ax is almost like calling because he thinks he might have the best hand too though so I, I consider that less of a float than just like pure floats where he just decides like seven eight suited with back doors he's just yeah. gonna like peel even though he doesn't even have over cards or like just jacked in suited if he has like jacked in with the back door flusher i think he's for sure peeling yeah um, sure i think so too especially when he knows the big blinds out right yeah and okay so i mean i just decide to check all i want to let him hang himself. I want to pot control in case he does actually have it. I don't think I have too much fold equity. I don't feel like going check raise and jam river and trying to bluff him that way when I have this much showdown value. I'm just going to pick hands that have less showdown value from him that I would rather turn into bluffs instead. I like that. Would you do that play if you didn't have a pair? If you just had, uh, you know, just a flush draw? Is that better then? Uh, well, flush draw. Do I have like king queen high? Do I have like the nut no pair? Because then I still have some level of showdown value. Right. Let's say you have like a suited connector. Like uh, no, then I'm more likely to check raise or barrel it as a bluff because I don't have any showdown value and an ace is a really good card for me to barrel. So I think those are some of the hands that I should pick to put in my double barrel bluff range or check raise bluff range on yeah either way yeah, yeah. yeah okay i like it bluff. so you guys i want you all to listen to what matt's telling us because it's really important that you construct your ranges based on the combination of what your perceived fold equity could be but also what is your actual showdown value we have a pair of nines which could still be good just because that ace came doesn't mean that it's not good and just in case by the way we still have the flush draw to back it up so yeah, this is really important because I think sometimes a lot of tournament players, they just get caught up in, you know, more the, the big picture of, well, I'm going to try to assert my dominance over this guy that's trying to assert his dominance and, you know, get cre- creative and have fancy play syndrome. There's no reason to do anything too crazy right now. We've got a pair of nines and a flush draw. Check and call. It's not that hard. Yeah, we want to give him a chance to hang himself. We don't. The, the most important part about this too is that every bet you make in no limit should be framed as a value bet or a bluff, and you should be targeting what worse hands are going to call if you're value betting, and what better hands are going to fold if you're bluffing. So when you start thinking about this hand along those lines, and that's why I pretty quickly said like. Tens through kings are the the hands that beat me, but that are vulnerable to the ace. And so those are some of the hands that I immediately talked about. But I think he squeezes every one of those hands at near 100% frequency pre over my open in a middle position call. Obviously. That's what I was going to say. How does he have kings and he didn't no, free that? Yeah. 
It doesn't. That's why this hand just on the turn, I'm just like, he does have some ace-x, and I, I was concerned about that. Those are most of the hands that I expect him to actually show up with, but um, for value, but I mean, obviously it doesn't have much deuce-x. There's not many combos of 9-9 nine, nine left when I have a 9 in my hand. He never has kings through 10, so it's just mostly the ace-x floats that I'm worried about. And if he does, I mean, most of the ace-x that are two overcards on the flop, he's going to squeeze with pre as well. I think he's going to squeeze ace-jack at some frequency and ace-ten at some frequency and definitely squeezing ace-queen, ace-king. I think so, too, especially when you describe that dynamic. Again, yeah. let's go back to that because he's he's looking for spots to you know reassert his dominance at this table. Let you, the other pro, know that's like, I respect you, but this is my house, <laughs> yeah. right? So if I've got ace-jack and you've opened, I'm going to three-bet so much. Yeah. Right, and, and I feel like if he's gonna peel ace high on the flop, he's gonna do it more so with two overs than one. But again, like with the dynamic we have right now, I think that his float range, especially with the big blind having folded out of turn, is super wide. Okay, so we check, and does he bet? We check. He bets seven k, which is super small. The pot yeah, it's is like a quarter. Uh, yeah, the pot was like twenty one k. So it's about a third then. All right. Uh, so a third, yeah. Okay. So. He, uh, I check call, yeah. obviously. We've already discussed my plan. Rivers an offsuit queen. Okay, so we don't love the queen because he still does have some overcard kind of queen jackie type of hands or whatever, and now they all just beat you. But... But does he bet 55K with those when we Oh, track? so that's the... <laughs> okay, so the river bet, as you already told us, is 1.6x pot. 35, uh, 55 into 35. Yeah, wow. Okay, so, uh, yeah, this is, um, it's an uncomfortable situation. I'll say that for sure. Mm. I don't know if I can really call. It sounds like you're you're thinking about calling. I don't know. I mean, there's just, there's a lot to worry about. There's an ace out there. There's a king. This would be a hero call. For the ages with third pair in this situation. What ace X is, is he going to size that way? Do we think that he's just going to try to get hero by 9x for 55 into 35? Right. And does he, he doesn't have, have ace king. But, like ace queen he doesn't have for top two. Ace X is just a chop. So, like, I mean, if I have ace X, like, is he trying to bluff me off a chop? Like, does he think I'm going to call with a nine? Like, I am. I'm going to call with a nine, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, repre he's representing a much bigger hand, like ace-nine. Right. He's right. trying to rep ace-nine or nines full or deuce-x, and I just was not buying it at all. I called pretty quickly. So you I, made the snap call? I, yeah. <laughs> I just... I went... I was like, that's a lot. And he didn't look comfortable. And, I mean, I didn't really have, like, much of a... Like, live read on the river. I'm not claiming that. But just, like, the way that the whole hand played out, the the meta, the game flow dynamic, my expectation of how he was going to react to me, me being at the table and me starting to try to take over now and starting to win a lot of pots. Uh, so I called, and he shows 7-5 of spades. So he missed his flush? Well, no, he called 9-deuce-deuce nine, called nine deuce deuce rainbow with 7-5 of spades. That was a pure float, right? Uh -huh. Okay, yeah, that's a real float. Uh -huh. I mean, it's a backdoor 
seven high flush draw. I did not think he was like pure floating that wide. I thought he would at least just have like seven eight of spades, seven eight of diamonds, or seven eight of hearts, which were the three 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 liner backdoor like straight flush draws. Like I was just like, those are the widest I could possibly see him. Like really just trying to float me in position. And, like, yeah. Yeah, he was really going for it. And I feel like the big blind folding out a turn had a, had an impact. I really do. Because yeah. he can't just call if he doesn't know what the big blind's going to do, right? I mean, he might. But it, it's it's significantly more ambitious with a player behind you, yeah. to say. So the, the whole hand just... I just... I felt like he was going to go after it and just kind of follow through with my read. So the funny thing is, I actually... I don't have many conversations with people at the table. But he was, like, friendly and chatty. And, like, is so... Uh, he said something to me uh, about how I must have just put him on like specifically those kind of floats and stuff and um, I and he was like talking about how we were shocked that I snap called I was like it was funny because someone else favorited like an old old tweet of mine later that same day or the next day that reminded me of the similar spot because someone tweeted about how he had his biggest score and I had beaten him heads up for a circuit ring online and that he couldn't believe that I snapped him on like a four straight on the river with top top and um and was like giving me props he wasn't like being mean about it or anything um so I replied to him saying that like and this was true. I wasn't, like, trying to make him feel better. I was like, my snap call wasn't so much indicative of my confidence that I was right so much as me just already having a plan and following through. Yeah, with it. I'm not going to fold. And especially online, it's not like you're going to get a read or something. Yeah. If you have a plan, you there's no reason yeah. to take that extra time. I told him I knew what rivers I was calling and which rivers I was going to fold before I called turn. So, like, it's just completing the plan at that point it's just putting that last piece in the puzzle it's not like i i'm not saying i'm 100 percent confident i'm just i i i believe that there's some truth to the old adage if you think long you think wrong yeah, i think, think that, long think wrong yeah i think that my gut even when i can't explain some of it like this spot like there it was just the totality of you know big line falling down turn the whole conversation the meta of it all of it came together and was just like, Matt, don't you dare fold a pair here. <laughs> like, like, I don't care if it's yeah. a nine. I don't care if it's third pair from yeah. 55 into 35. Just just put it in see what he has. Oh, he has seven high. <laughs> just two alpha dogs trying to assert dominance over you. Yeah. I wasn't even like, I, he would be the last person at the table I was going to go after. Right. Like, he has all the chips. He's probably my toughest opponent. I was fine with staying out of each other's ways. We were five seats apart. We could kind of pick apart our side of the table. You you didn't realize he was WPT player of the year. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, that's the funny part, because we started chatting about it right before we went on break. Like, mostly as people were walking away from the table, and like, and then I asked him what his name was, and he said, as soon as he said Jake, I was like, oh, you're the man. You're, the, uh, you're, you're that guy. <laughs> you're, the, you're the one that I was looking up for my buddy and found out you were player of the year. Okay, so. I, I think that actually would have given me more reason to call. Yeah. I think it would have been an easier call knowing that he's at that level. Right, because. And has, like, the balls to, to fire 55 into 35 as a bluff. Right, and some amateur we'll some recreational player isn't going to have that right. particular tool in the toolkit, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So Well, nice hand, Matt. I like this one. <laughs> Thanks. That's why I was like, when I went through my notes, I was like, oh, wait, that one, that one's probably worth it because I don't want to sit here and talk GTO. I want to talk about why I'm at the World Series of Poker, why this is my, my God, what year is it? I'm th- I'm 38, so this is my 17th World Series of Poker. I mean, there was only one year I didn't play the main, but I played a bunch of prelims. I sat with Doyle the first time I was in the money in a World Series of Poker. Like, wow. They broke my table as I got in the money. <laughs> it was like a crazy rite of passage type thing. It was like I was at the table that broke when we were down to 45 and in the money, and then they put me at a table with Doyle the second I was in the money for my first hand in the money of the World Series event. I'm in the one, Doyle's in the four staring at me, and I'm just like... It's like 2006? Yeah. Wow. And wow. then the next year I took 118th in the main when Yang won it. That was my deepest run, but I've had three top 300s. That's incredible. That's great. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, obviously it's a very impressive resume, and it doesn't just come from, you know, playing everything by the book or doing GTO. It, th- you have to kind of take your knowledge and your study of the game and then combine that with your knowledge of human nature and uh, of people. And just, as you said before, you kind of go on vibes Sometimes and there was a lot happening here. You gotta trust your gut, but you gotta train your gut. That's the thing. You can't you can't just be like, Well, the solver would say that I have to call here and just fucking throw the chips in. I've done that way too many times and just like, Oh, I'm at the top of my range, I can't fold even though in my heart of hearts, like my gut knows that like I'm And all signs point to your beat. Yeah, well, yeah. It's like it's old man coffee. It's like it's that guy who hasn't played a hand all day. Why why do you care if you think you're at the top of your range? Do you think he knows what your range is at all? Does he think he know does do you think he's thinking about how he needs to construct his range to counter your range? Like no. No, he's got the nuts. It just he's betting because he made a goddamn flush. <laughs> so I think I'm gonna call this episode Trust Your Gut, but Train Your Gut. Yeah. I like that. And now uh, your gut is way smaller than it used to be, by the way. <laughs> You're looking good. So uh, we were talking about uh, health and nutrition in last week's episode. But So before we say goodbye, like, you know, what's the secret? What are you doing? Obviously, you're in great shape. What's happening? I wouldn't say great shape yet. Give me another six months. I, uh, I'm playing ice hockey again. Nice. I, I've been – I was very serious about ice hockey when I was younger. I didn't get into it until I was – 13. I started playing street hockey when I was nine, right after the Rangers won the cup. I went to the only public school in New Jersey that had its own ice rink on campus, so I was just barely able to afford equipment and play high school uh, high school and college hockey, but then got into poker and stopped playing hockey. I played a little bit of roller hockey like throughout like my late 20s, early 30s, and but then the, the roller hockey rink closed a couple years ago. Uh, my buddy was going to make more money running other events there than continuing to let us play roller hockey in the building. So yeah, couldn't right. blame him. Yeah, so yeah. I decided to get back into ice hockey. And especially once my ex and I separated, it was part of my whole taking better care of myself, focusing on things I can control. Uh, I went pescatarian. I have a lot of heart disease in my family. I want to make sure that I'm here for my son. I I just I'm way too afraid of having a heart attack because I eat so much meat and I've been pretty strictly pescatarian for uh, going on 15 months now and I've been playing on now two different ice hockey leagues beer wow. leagues on Monday and Wednesday nights I try to go out and practice at other times too I've been taking my kids ice skating so I've been doing a lot in terms of skating and ice hockey and it's 
it's something that I'm very passionate about. I'm never going to be passionate about going to the gym, but uh, I get amped up to go play hockey. I yeah. get disappointed that I have chips and a bracelet event because I'm going to miss my beer <laughs> You're league. You're going to miss your hockey. I missed a beer league playoff game. My team lost, and I'm like one of their best defensemen. Like, oh, what yeah. am I doing with my life? So, no, it's crazy. I book, uh, I'll book flights back from Florida from Sherpo events like a day early. Like, I usually book day of the final table, and if I make the final table great, I won't mind not being there and having to rebook and missing the flight, whatever. But I've been booking stuff like the day before because I'm like, well, I don't want to miss my Wednesday night hockey game. <laughs> so I'm modifying travel schedules for beer league hockey. Like, you should see like the thought process in my brain. This is the best one I've had so far. I was dropping down to block a slap shot from a guy who probably rips at about eighty or ninety. What? Like the the yeah. I mean the the slap shots in the NHL range up to like hundred and ten ish. But um, this guy like has a very very nasty slap shot, and it's got to be at least seventy, probably in like the eighty ninety when he gets it as fast as he can, and. Uh, without thinking, there's four minutes left. We're down three goals in a D-level beer league hockey game. <laughs> like a goddamn psychopath, I decide that I'm going to hurl my body in the way of this puck, just dropping down sideways to make sure that it doesn't get to my goalie. And as I'm diving toward the ice, in my brain I go, Matt Stout, you have four kids... <laughs> And you are down three goals with four minutes to go in a D-level beer league hockey game. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I had like a very stern chat with myself in like this, the one second as my body is getting ready to drop to the ice. If you're a true competitor, you can't, you don't think that way. You're like, I'm going to defend against this. I, I understand. I, it's like these guys that crash into the wall when they're playing, you know, spring training exhibition baseball games, and they you know injure themselves because they just they don't have that other gear where you're like, no. well, I'm going to be careful. No. You know, you're you're playing a sport. You can't think about that. Ricky Bobby, first or last, <laughs> baby, you know it. We're going for the gusto. I love it. All right, I know you got to go, Matt. I really appreciate you taking all the time to uh, you know to be on the podcast again. Um, what, what do you want people to know? Where can they find you? Are you twitching? Are you tweeting? What are you doing? I'm not twitching right now. I was during the pandemic a bit. I may do it eventually again, but I care more about people following the charity than they, than I do the, them following me. Uh, charity Series of Poker on Instagram and Facebook and The CSOP on Twitter. I am Stout Poker on Instagram, but I'm never on there. And <laughs> I'm Matt Stout Poker on Twitter. I, uh, I've been doing Run It Once videos, so you can check those out. Well, there you go. There you have it. Matt, thanks so much for hanging out with me today and for being a, you know, I don't know, four or five time guest on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I don't think so. Yeah. Well, for Matt Stout and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, and with special thanks, as always, to our generous sponsor, ACR, America's Card Room, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart
same without a gun And baby, when it's nothing, it's not rough, it isn't fun 